Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit with Stephen Grossman, author of Palimony, in which two recently divorced men attempt to con their way out of paying alimony by wooing each other's ex-wives. When he falls in love with his target, he finds himself in a heap of unintended consequences. Set in Charlotte, North Carolina, this comedy flips the script and tells the story of a marriage gone wrong, a Hitchcockian scheme, and some local flavor. Morris Ardeon, author of Stone Motel, Memoirs of a Cajun Boy, had this to say about the book. Steve Grossman gives us an insider's lived-in view on the absurdities of life, love, and, well, divorce. And does so with sharply written prose, hilarious dialogue, and a hard-to-put-down narrative that pushes the reader to the brink and then gently nudges him over the edge. All done in great tension and suspense with just enough romantic sweetness to balance the tang of the journey these unforgettable characters have taken on. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. we also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and, and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I guess my check tomorrow is cleared. So that was, uh, <laughs> he's actually yeah. a great writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's good praise. I, I, I like that Uh uh, insider's view on the absurdities of life, love, and well, divorce, which is what we've been talking about. And 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 Steve, when I first uh, first of all, congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, when I first saw this book title, I laughed, and uh, and then when I read the blurb on the book, I was thinking, well, this guy has to be a divorce lawyer with a sense of humor, and there aren't many of those around. So 
but then I figured out you're not a lawyer. I am not a lawyer, uh, nor do I play one on TV, but I've uh, spent some time around them uh, and uh, present company, you know, excluded. There's a Mexican proverb, uh, may your life be free of lawyers. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you, you, br- you bring that humor with some lawyer bashing in the book. But uh, so, so not being a lawyer and not having been, you know, in the world of being a divorce lawyer, uh, what made you want to write about divorce and in particular add this humorous side to what can sometimes be, you know, a very difficult uh, situation for people? Well, again, as you know, sometimes humor is a defense mechanism. If you're going through difficult times, if you laugh at them, they, they're, they, you can get through them a little bit easier. Um, just kind of a couple of things. It seemed like every treatment of divorce in popular media or literature or movies always seemed to have the female uh, narrative. And the male was always the uh, bad guy, if you will, uh, you know, kind of simplistic view. And and obviously there's a lot of bad behavior among men. I mean, there's enough to certainly fill uh, movie theaters and and, uh, libraries. But, um, you know, as I talked to a lot of people that have gotten divorced, you know, in some cases, it was kind of an amicable thing. In other cases, uh, you know, the woman got the short end of the stick. And obviously, that's been written about a lot. And in other cases, it was the guy. And I really wanted to steer clear of any whiff of misogyny, just basically because there's, you know, like one of the lawyers, uh, female lawyers, is kind of a hero in the book. And uh, the uh, love interest is uh, a lawyer. And she's turns out to be, you know, pretty, pretty good human being. Um, but you know, everyone has a story and, uh, everyone knows someone, if you're middle-aged, that has gone through a divorce, if they have it themselves. And, you know, in some instances, uh, it was a fairly equal split in other instances, uh, one side, uh, viewed it as, uh, almost like an animal in a trap where you're willing to do anything. You'll gnaw your arm off just to get out of the situation. And then the other person just keeps pushing buttons and pushing buttons and pushing buttons and uh, you know until you're willing to throw in the towel and just say i'll agree to anything just make it stop Um, (laughs) so 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 did you did you actually call on some of your friends who have gone through divorce to kind of get their thoughts on it oh yeah i mean I, i well i knew the stories because as you go through it and you know you seek out the counsel of people that are maybe a couple of steps ahead in the process or on the other end of the coin, there's people that are just starting the process um, while you're farther along and you want to give them the, the kind of pearls of wisdom that you didn't know at the time. So there was always a lot of discussions. And I guess just uh, for whatever reason, one time I was reading through the divorce agreement and I, I came across the cohabitation clause. You know, and friends of mine would joke that had been divorced. Oh, if my ex would only get remarried, I'd be like living large and, you know, be able to get back to where I was. And, you know, I just uh, all of a sudden that flashback to strangers on a train came there. And I'm like, you know what? You'd have a lot of inside information if you were actually coaching someone um, to hit on your ex. You've got, you know, track record, you know, their favorite pizza topping and movie and song and vacation spot. And, um, you know, you can have some fun, uh, with that. So that, that was kind of the genesis of the plot, if you will. So I'm guessing, uh, Steve, that none of your friends had any kind words for the, uh, for the divorce lawyers. Um, you know, I, I, I liked mine. I mean, I thought she was a great person and she was sharp and, uh, 
you know, helped me uh, through obviously difficult times. What what I came to realize a couple thousand dollars later is they're not psychologists. So if you're using your calling up your attorney to just, you know, complain about some missed handoff with your kids or, you know, change of date or you didn't know about the football, you know, uh, celebration dinner till 10 minutes before things like that. Um, that's not really a legal matter. And, yeah. uh, you know, the clock ticks anyways, but I, I thought mine was a great person and, uh, I know other people as well, uh, that yeah. have had good experience, but it's one of those professions that, um, the less efficient you are, sometimes the more money you could make, uh, and there aren't a lot of those out there. And the other thing is that, um, there's a subset of attorneys that realize that if they ratchet up the acrimony, um, they make more money. So uh, I'm not saying that most attorneys aren't ethical or go, you know, by the canons of their profession. But, um, you know, if that's their target market, um, there's enough bitter people going through divorces that are uh, certainly willing to keep the the meter running um if they can stick it to their ex you know yeah well um i, I guess i was uh, thrown off here by part of your bio which says you're uh, you happen to be a happily married man and at first i thought you were saying that to point out that uh, you're not uh, going through a divorce or haven't been but you've actually had the experience yourself right right i've been i've, I've been i am divorced i guess you never yeah. aren't divorced it's like yeah. uh, something you go yeah. through but um yeah i'm remarried uh, for I guess eight years now, and it's uh, really been a pleasure. My wife's from uh, South America originally, it's Colombia. I feel like I'm in the Colombian version of I Dream of Genie sometimes. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's <laughs> we get along well, so I'm happy. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, well, look, uh, you know, since you're not a lawyer um, and you had to sort of gather some intelligence here on, on both the law and how mediation works and what divorce lawyers do and don't do. Um, how did you invest yourself in that? Apart from your own experience, uh, how did you come across these? Because you have some various plot twists in here that do involve some, uh, you know, legal principles. Right. Well, I, I did go through a mediation, um, and uh, you know, fortunately, it got the job done. It would have been a, a kind of uh, double whammy if. I would have gone through a mediation and then afterwards had to go to court in addition to that. And I think I kind of referenced that in the book. Um, I, you know, there's humor throughout the book and, you know, people say, Oh, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. But, but, you know, I, I have some acquaintances that have gone through divorce and had some really negative consequences for their kids when it was just very bitter. Um, and I, I just, one of the things I wanted to kind of get across is that, um, if two adults are divorcing, they, they really have to remain adults and parents first um, and not, you know, use the kids as a kind of uh, vehicle to, to get back or exact revenge or whatever, because it's like shooting an arrow. It always goes through the kid. It may not ultimately reach who you're aiming at, but, um, you know, that was kind of uh, a little sub theme in the book. And, you know, there are attorneys that take ethical shortcuts. They've been pilloried in popular media and, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement. I wanted to have it balanced by a, a positive image of an attorney that really helped their client, you know, both as a person and as, as a client. Yeah. And, and you know, most lawyers um, who, who do this kind of work, they are good ethical lawyers. They handle difficult situations. They help 
clients get through it. Uh, you know, I was a mediator in practice, not with divorce, but with commercial cases. And that's a very good system, I think, to try to help people resolve matters mm-hmm. before they go to court. But they can blow up. And just like in your book, the opening scene involves a mediation. Mm-hmm. And not long into the to the book, I think he makes a comment to his lawyer, something to like, this is blowing up. It's going to go nuclear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you can't have a good look. You know, yes, there are mediations. There are lawyers that help people resolve things um, and, and separate their assets and separate, you know, and work with the kids and stuff. But you wouldn't have a good novel if you did that in the first chapter, would you? Right. No. Yeah. It's uh, it's like, OK, we went to the mediation, everything <laughs> solved the end, you know, happily ever after. But uh, yeah. so we had to have a little bit of a circuitous route to happiness there with some yeah. complications along the way. So let's talk about the premise of your book here a minute. Um, you've got two recently divorced men. Uh, they're attempting to con their way out of paying alimony by wooing each other's ex-wives. The idea being that if they can, uh, you know, get the, what is it, get them out of the house or get them in the house. It's cohabitation, for so long. I think, co- is co- the threshold. They, they, yeah, yeah, they're trying to get them into the house to cohabitate for some <laughs> limited period of time and therefore get them off. The, now, that's not the law in every state necessarily, but right. it, it, it's a good, it, you know, this principle you're working off of. So each of these men try to woo the other's ex-wife mm-hmm. uh, with the idea that if they can move in or get invited to move in, uh, the other will be off the hook, right? Exactly. Exactly. So they come up, uh, you know, it's I had the dichotomy of uh, going through a divorce and I traveled a lot for business. So here I am, you know, I check in at the then U.S. Air and it's like, oh, you know, preferred boarding. And would you like a drink? And I take your coat and Mr. Grossman, it's good to see you again. And then I come back to my little starter apartment with, you know, a bunch of millennials or, uh, you know, corporate types that are waiting for their McMansions on the golf course to be completed. Uh, you know, with an empty refrigerator with some ketchup packets. And it was it was like two different universes. And, you know, you got it. So it was almost worse because you got a taste of luxury. Uh, you remember your own life. There was a little small segment of it within the, the business travel part that that let you know that, hey, you know, this used to be me. And then, you know, you come back and, and your personal finances are like a house of cards that, uh, you know, someone sneezes and the whole thing collapses. So that was kind of something that I think a lot of other people go through as well. You know, and you try to allow it not to, you know, gnaw at your uh, self-esteem or the person you're looking at in the, in the mirror is still the same person that was, you know, a few years earlier. But but that, that part to me was something that I, I thought uh, you could have some fun with in a book. All right, Steve, so this is your debut uh, novel. Um... Mm-hmm. You know, have you enjoyed the experience of creating and putting this book into the world? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I had fits and starts. And then uh, kind of about three years ago, I stumbled upon a group on the Internet and uh, that kind of taught you the art of pitching your novel and then really started learning some of the sausage making of books, uh, uh, things that I wasn't aware of that, it, you know, certain word counts are specific to certain genres and you can't go above them or below a certain amount. Uh some of the writer's maxims. I didn't come from a, a English literature background in college, so some of those things were new to me. I just read to kind of enjoy um, the read without parsing all the different rules and things that were part of that. So there's little things you learn along the way, but uh, 
I've, I've told some of my friends in the group, if I knew it was so much fun being friends with writers, I wouldn't have bothered with people that aren't, you know, <laughs> because it's really all this creativity and just uh, kind of differing ways of looking at the world. And, and some of the folks that I've met from, you know, Australia, Europe, South America, et cetera, um, just have had some some awesome life experiences that kind of prompted or different kind of lives, if you will, that kind of prompted their journey to uh, write creatively. So yeah, that's, that's, why, a, that's been a plus. That's why I enjoy hanging out with authors uh, on this podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and listeners, we're going to be uh, doing a Patreon episode, uh, uh, Lessons Learned by Debut Author. Steve and I are going to have that uh, after this. You can check it out on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Now, Steve, you um, dedicated this book to your father. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason I think you wanted to write this book. Tell us about uh, tell us about that. Well, my dad always enjoyed writing. He was. Uh, I'm reminded of the movie Parenthood. There's a scene in which Steve Martin is talking with his wife, and he has to go to some business meeting that he doesn't really want to go to. And she's like, "Do you have to go to the meeting?" And he says something akin to, "My whole life is have to." So my dad, you know, he uh, was. I guess somewhat bored in NYU and figured, you know, he'd get his military service out of the way. So he enlisted. He wound up becoming a speechwriter for a general on the base. He invented a newsletter where he was the reporter, sometimes the interviewee, sometimes he was the cartoonist and editor and chief bottle washer and cook. And I think he really enjoyed that. Um, you know, got out. Uh, he auditioned, uh, he waited online, I should say, for like three hours for Sid Caesar's show of shows. Um, got bored, I guess, left, never looked back, took a regular job. Uh, yeah, I remember as a, as a kid, he, he would help my cousin out, who's a playwright. They would sit around the kitchen or dining room table and hash out stuff. But he, he wrote, I think, a PTA play when I was young as well uh, that was performed. But he never really went into it and and you know we all uh take the safe route sometimes thinking oh you know you'll starve if you're an artist or a musician or a painter or whatever and it's really something inside of you that if you don't get it out it's it's gonna kind of mess with your happiness so uh, i wanted to kind of take this you know book forward as a kind of tribute to crossing you know a finish line that he never got to, to really cross um, I think he would have made a living. He probably wouldn't have been happy. And, uh, you know, who knows? But, um, you know, I, I just thought it was uh, was something that uh, I wanted to kind of acknowledge his influence, I guess. And I don't know how much of writing is hereditary, but I, I certainly think uh, my sister, you know, dabbles in, in writing and, uh, you know, has made a, a living at that. My son's a music engineer. You know, he followed his dream. My other one, you know, did more of the straight a narrow route as an attorney, actually. Um, so, um, you know, if you have that creativity thing, you should nurture it, I think. And it uh, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you got gray hair. It's never too late. That's great. Doesn't matter if you have gray hair or no hair, right? So Exactly. <laughs> I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for the hair I still have. <laughs> uh, well, let's do this. Uh, we we uh, have authors do a little reading on the show. We'll come back and talk more about uh, Palimony. But uh, you've got a scene here that you're going to read. Uh, why don't you set that scene up for us before you read it? Uh, and then whenever you're ready, just take it away. Okay. So just a little bit of background. So our uh, protagonist here, Ross, has just left a mediation 
Uh, mediation is a very important date in your divorce history, but he has a business trip he just simply can't cancel. And if he loses his job, he'll lose even more. So he gets on the plane. He's in first class. He meets a stranger. It turns out they have tons of stuff in common. Um, the, the stranger is divorcing an attorney who's like a type A kind of hard driven type where his uh, wife, you know, has an allergy to work. So they're they're almost, uh, as I say, global travelers that are got to the same financial mess by traveling in different directions. So he's telling him his story about uh, his his uh, wife, ex-wife's attorney and how she's going to be a huge problem for him. My attorney, Les Pelsner, just had a horrible divorce that dragged on forever. His opposing attorney was a six foot two woman. Tells me her name is Eunice Burbank. Now I can tell the lawyers I'm interviewing who they'll be opposing. Figure I got to get a major league attorney now. This isn't fixing a parking ticket. My first appointment was with some white shoe firm in Myers Park. Who would be better connected, Ross said, referring to Charlotte's old money enclave. Seersucker suit, bow tie, gray hair, looks like Orville Redenbacher, but with a voice like when Herman Munster played the judge in My Cousin Vinny. The two Utes, Dave said. I love that movie. He turns and said, son, I think I speak for every attorney in the firm and state and we'd rather not have anything to do with that woman. Seersucker suit rejected you, Dave asked. Yep, but he said he'd only charge me 200 of the $400 consultation fee, Ross said. So I go to some do-good or ACLU-friendly firm on East Boulevard near the Greek church, located in one of those restored turn-of-the-century houses. I figure maybe they might have worked with Godzilla on some issues. The guy says, you're going to court, guaranteed. Tells me I'm better off screwing up my job, getting a job at Home Depot, and declare bankruptcy after biting the bullet for two years and throwing myself on the mercy of the court without a lawyer. Ross swirled the melting cubes in his drink glass. He adds, but I never told you that. Godzilla's MO is to come up with some career path that requires lengthy schooling to extract the maximum percentage of income. Sometimes she succeeds, sometimes not. But her involvement guarantees a protracted fight with endless squabble. Lawyer says he'll pass. He even says, bless your heart at the end, which meant Dave chimed in, you're screwed. They laughed at the gallows humor, having lived it and being familiar enough with the Southern nomenclature to know when, in fact, the ubiquitous saying was, in fact, sarcasm. So now I know why Stephanie, my future ex, signed with her. She has a history of unsuccessful employment, and she loves being vindictive and playing the victim. She's Godzilla's perfect client, said Ross. I used to dream about this 50-foot-tall monster with tiny T-Rex arms breathing fire and taking all I've worked for. Well, she isn't 50 feet tall, but she's a pain in my ass, and I hope my attorney gets her under control. You must be freaking, but you have an attorney now. Oh, I was a mess. My last hope was Rebecca Harrington. She said she knew Eunice Burbank, Godzilla. Well, and she slapped her hands a few times when she was out of order. Becky was a teacher. She got into law because she noticed the effect bitter divorces had on some of her students. She's with Piper Haddon and McCorkle, and a show pony when high-profile cases get contentious and kids are involved. I've heard of them. I must have been as nervous as a germaphobe in a Waffle House. I had butterflies in my stomach the size of pterodactyls, but Becky kept me focused. She asked about my daughter, how she was doing, my relationship was with her. She'd do all she could do to keep her out of the line of fire. Then I tell her about this dickhead nickname I have, and she says Godzilla hands them out like meteorologists do for tropical storm to dehumanize the exes. I don't want my daughter to hear that crap. Losing money is one thing, but my, if my daughter Nicole comes out of this scarred, I'd be beside myself. So I tell Becky about my Godzilla dreams. She tells me, I'm your dragon slayer. I signed that agreement in a New York minute. She's smart as a whip and one hell of an attorney. 
<laughs> That's good. Uh, thanks for that reading, Steve. I, I loved how you also uh, took us on a little tour of uh, parts of Charlotte uh, in in that scene from Myers yeah. Park over to East Boulevard. Yeah. Charlotte's very much uh, a character in the book. And the thing I liked about, you know, using Charlotte as a canvas, obviously living here is one thing, but um, it's one of those cities. There's a lot more to it. When you look under the surface, it's got kind of this duality of uh, being a progressive uh, new South city with people moving in from all over the place. And then it still has kind of vestiges of the Bible belt. It's got the newcomers versus transplant thing going on and uh you know this influx of millennials that gives it a sort of energy with the arts thing and restaurants and so on and so forth and the neighborhoods again are very very different um you know nota's completely different than than uh, myers park and ballantyne different from south park and those kind of subtle differences i think made for uh, a good canvas to paint on so to speak that's great so uh, I, I love the name of the book. Uh, I'm looking at the book cover now. Which listeners will be in our show notes at Charlotte's Podcast. You can also find it on uh, you know, Steve's uh, links that we'll have there as well. But uh, palimony, it's kind of like uh, maybe pals that are helping each other avoid alimony. Is that correct? The correct. They're pals <laughs> and then they're dealing with alimony. So when they, you know, make each other flush from uh, cohabitating, uh, their, their payoff is palimony. The only problem is... Uh, one of the men likes the other's ex-wife and one of them right. doesn't like the other's ex-wife, right? Right. So for one guy, he's like, holy cow, she's she's kind of nice. I like her. Yeah. And, he, you know, because of uh, her, he gets involved in martial arts, which is kind of therapeutic for him. Uh, and he kind of gets his mojo and he finds out, you know, uh, their divorce was caused really because the his pal, the, the son-in-law was in the family business and that caused the problem. So it wasn't really necessarily her, um, but just their situation. Whereas the other one is dealing with a, a sort of self-absorbed narcissist and he's, he's dreading every minute he has to, you know, live to get, to get through this, uh, promise he made to his friend. Um, and, and that, that is, you know, a source of some comic relief as well. So, yeah. And, and you know, as I'm reading this book along and I, I'm, you know, I'm sensing as I'm most readers are probably is, you know, this is not going to necessarily end well because, you know, it, you got this situation, <laughs> somebody's going to get found out. It always happens. Right. 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 And uh, it turns out, you know, there's a, there's a woman, he's kind of uh, after a brief fling on a business trip uh, from Australia, she's a flight attendant has this platonic relationship with, and she invites him to her wedding in Australia. And then the, the uh, uh, he wants to take his now girlfriend and he's thinking about getting engaged there. And then his ex-wife's getting wind of it. And <laughs> she somehow hops on a plane with her uh, former boyfriend who they kind of nuked out of the picture to clear the way for the cohabitation scheme. And he's there as well because he's his uh, son is a PI in Gastonia and uh, figures out where the IP address was. And it's this like far flung town in Australia. So they're all in the same place in the same hotel at the same time. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, no spoiler alert here, but uh, it ends a little differently than most people think it would. But it it, it does have a happy ending. Yeah. Um, and as, as we've said, there's a lot of humor involved here too. Uh, so you explored these themes of divorce, uh, romance, uh, but also you work in some marriage equality into the, into the text. And I was wondering about that. What, what motivated you to do that? Um, it's, you know, 
there's a, obviously the the duality of Charlotte, where it's you know both progressive and then it's you know got these vestiges of the Bible Belt. But you know, I just thought it absurd that the a lot of people that are kind of trying to define what marriage is or isn't um, that it's some kind of sacred institution, you know, based on, you know, the Bible, there's, there's no rules when, when a marriage dissolves, it's like bare knuckles and get what you can and, and do whatever underhanded thing you need to do. So to me, it just sort of seemed, uh, like something worth exploring that those two things uh, could kind of illustrate a point that, you know, treat marriage with reverence on the way in and the way out. And uh, one of the attorneys didn't really publicize the fact she's a lesbian and she had a relationship with a, a, a psychologist who was a girl psychologist who committed suicide in the midst of a really high profile divorce. So they couldn't make their relationship public and then when the other attorney, who's also uh, a lesbian, becomes a sort of de facto spokesperson for uh, marriage equality after a, a bombing incident in Charlotte, uh, they decide they have to go public and they have to get married, which will also have the effect of um, uh, exempting them from testifying against one another. So that that kind of happens. So they're they're part of the whole wedding thing. Uh, as well, uh, they have a marriage coming up. So that that was you know a little bit of a plot complication there, but I thought it, I thought they all fit well together. Before we dive into a few writing life questions, uh, just the book cover I'm looking at. It's uh, I'm a believer in less is more, and that's what we have on this book cover. We got two mm -hmm. images, man and woman, almost a, a you know it's kind of a graphic cartoonish look. But the man's holding up a, a bouquet of flowers, but he's got his hand behind his back with his fingers crossed. Right. So he approached her, you know, with the uh, goal of wooing her and under a, a facade of deception. But it, it grew into so much more. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Carl Hyacin um, and his book covers always seem to have bright colors and are cartoonish. But yet he has these zany characters and multiple plot twists that all intersect at some point but there's also a message he has usually his is florida's a weird place with some crazy people and uh greedy people that are ruining it and you know but uh that was kind of what i was shooting for all right well a couple of writing life questions uh, the uh you know we're going to talk more on patreon about some lessons you've learned but uh what did you find most challenging about this uh thing called writing a book, which you hadn't done before. And what do you find most rewarding? Um, so when, when, you know, people think of writing a book, they think the writing part is the predominant thing that you do. And the reality is for every moment of brilliance that you have putting together a sentence, there's hours staring at your keyboard when you write a sentence and you hate three of the words and are looking at synonyms or you're researching you know civil war history because you got distracted but you also editing is a big thing i, I just kind of barfed out everything and um one of the things you learn is to trust your reader um so you don't need as much backstory as you think you do um and i had to cut a lot of that out i had in my head i'm like if i don't describe everything about you know where they went to elementary school and you know uh, what uh, when they learn to ride a bicycle or what their parents were like or all that stuff, they're not going to really get an insight into character. But I think in this instance, what I've been kind of gratified when I skinny down the book is uh, the ability to work with an editor. They actually make your 
work more your own. They allow it to shine. They polish something that has, you know, some some rough parts and, and, and make it better about, while still retaining your voice. But most people seem to resonate with the characters. They, they, sell, they felt real. So I, I feel like even though I cut out a lot of that backstory, uh, they still will get able to get a general gist. And almost everyone seems to, to identify with at least one of them. I know a person exactly like that. You really nailed it. That, you know, in fact, I, was, I had a, a writer friend in the group who got remarried and she was texting her husband paragraphs of the book. It's like, this is exactly your ex-wife. I don't know how this is so uncanny. So, um, you know, it just seems like there's certain archetypes of people you can draw on. And if you draw them well, um, that will resonate. So that part was very, very, uh, uh, you know, interesting to me. Um, I've gotten a lot of stuff from both men and women that they were glad that there was finally a book in the male viewpoint of this without being, you know, overly... Um, male dominant if you will I, I wanted to make sure i balanced it with some very strong intelligent nuanced women um, who kind of helped him get his mojo back um you know he he learned from them so it's not very much you know men get the short end of the stick kind of thing it's just in this particular instance one guy was fortunate enough to run into some very neat understanding women that helped him retain his uh and regain his self-confidence so you, you describe the process, uh, you know, sitting down, writing. Sometimes you have fits and starts. Not knowing that this was ever going to make it into the world, did you tell people you were writing a book or did you hold that back until you were sure you were going to make it? Um, I think I told people my tendency was to just tell people, figuring that then I'd be held accountable when they'd ask me, like, so how's your book coming along? And for like a decade, I mean, it was moving at around the same pace as the uh, – Familia Sagrada in Barcelona, which has taken like 300 years to complete and they're still not even done. They're scaffolding all over it. Um, but when I joined that writer's group, which was about um, three years ago, um, that was really a catalyst because then I knew what I needed to do. I knew, knew I needed to get an editor. I knew I needed to skinny it down to under 100,000 words. Uh, you know, all the little writer things, which we'll get into in a minute, you know, passive voice or paring down the use of adjectives and things like that. Uh, um, I felt like I could get something out there that, you know, belonged to be on a shelf, uh, whereas it wasn't so as mysterious as it once was. Once you learn the sausage making, um, the stuff that you didn't know you didn't know, um, it became a lot easier to envision it as an actual book. So will there be a next book having gone through this process? Yeah, I decided I'm going to uh, go with a, a female protagonist and it's called Expionage. And it's about a woman. She's divorced. She has three kids. And after carpooling her kids uh, in suburban Charlotte to dance lessons in Little League, uh, next thing she knows, she's waking up in a drug induced haze in Kyrgyzstan in a black ops prison with no idea why she's there or why she was abducted. And it turns out um, her husband who worked at one of the big banks in town. Charlotte is the town that ATMs built. Uh, he's selling cybersecurity secrets to who he thinks are low-level Russian mobsters, but it's an international cabal that's trying to take down the U.S. banking system. So she has to become kind of an, a reluctant 007. Uh, think like Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny uh, takes over for Jack Ryan in The Sum of All Fears. Uh, that's how I kind of describe it. That's all so good. All good. She's like a Jersey transplant to Charlotte, and you know, that's that's kind of the the story. So I'm enjoying that's it so all, far. 
All good stuff. Got to have some Utes in there. Some Utes. Two Utes. Uh, yeah, that movie just keeps. It's like a recurring theme. It's it's it comes up in the book twice for different reasons, but uh, it, it, yeah. it it was a great entertaining movie. So I'm glad I would could draw on it. Well, all right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump over to Patreon listeners, uh, patreon.com dot com forward slash Charlotte's podcast, and you're gonna hear Steve talk about uh, all the lessons he learned. If you're interested in writing a book, uh, so we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, Steve, hey man, thanks so much for being on Charlotte's podcast and sharing the story of palimony. Oh, I really enjoyed it, and um, I hope uh, hope writers resonate with it, especially those in Charlotte, where a lot of the scenery will be familiar. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.